it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. And welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I am one of your hosts, Justin. Oh, the other one, James. I got nothing for today. No, okay. <laughs> You're, we're all waiting for bad breath. It's like, uh, drawing a blank. James the belligerent. Okay, that's one. Uh, James the blank. There, there's one. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I came up with my, my own thing. You just destroyed that with a very less compelling one, but whatever. Belligerent. You belligerent? Psh. What are you, British? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I bet you're Scottish. <laughs> um, so, well, thanks for. You guys actually have something to say? <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I, I can't even. I can't even think now. Just. <laughs> I'm so belligerent. I can't even think. <laughs> um, something, something, haggis. There you go. <laughs> Uh, well, sorry about that weird intro, folks. Um, <laughs> thanks for joining us for Chapter 35, Camelin. We have finally arrived at the big city. Um, and last week we had left off with Rand and Matt mm -hmm. hanging out in Almond Bunt's uh, little wagon as it heads to Camelin in the wee-wee late hours of the night and slash early, early morning. Um and at this point, it seems, as of what, the end of last chapter, that they're just within sight of it. And now they're kind of approaching uh, the city gates, if you will. So basically, um, Rand's kind of celebrating with Matt and everything about like, yeah, we made it. We're going to here. And then he just like stops saying anything and he sees Camelon and... and you know, seeing Barillon and even seeing Shadar Logoth, he's like, oh, I, I figured I know what a great city's going to be like. And then, bam, Cam Camelon's just like this massive city. And there's some really cool uh, descriptions and whatnot. Um, I'd recommend everybody double check to make sure they actually got to read it because it's a very be beautiful description of it. Um, the wall's 50 feet tall, which is pretty good honestly for uh a lot of cities some of them like small towns and villages only get like a 20 foot or something so 30 feet on top of that's pretty substantial um they could hypothetically be better or bigger but it depends on what you're expecting to come against but he's got all this stuff running through his head and he's just like wow i just lost everything in my brain trying to talk to matt so the city gets closer and closer as the cart heads that way and um then it kind of describes basically the gate itself um and how busy it is all the livestock and um all of the merchants and, and everything going in and out and whatnot and uh, the size of the gate you could have put basically 10 giants abreast and that high up in the air. So it's a massive gate. Um, and 
it's basically as they're coming up to the gate, they get hit with this big, loud, just noise. If you want to go ahead and pick up here, good sir. <clears throat> what did I tell you? Bunt had to raise his voice to near a shout in order to be heard. The greatest city of the world. Built by Oki, you know. At least the inner city and the palace were. Is that old, Camelin is. Camelin. Very good, Queen Morgaste. The light illumine her. Makes it the law and holds the peaceful and or the greatest city on earth. Rand was eager. Sorry. Rand was ready to agree. I knew. I knew that was going <laughs> I was going to say, that's not even the same ballpark, dude. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah. I know, really agree. Rand was ready to agree. His email hung open, and he wanted to put his, his hand over his ears to shut out the din. He'd look round to the road, as he thick as he thick as he folk in the Emmons field crowded at the green in Veltine. He remembered he thinking he there were too many people in Barillon to be believed, and he almost laughed. He looked at Matt and grinned. Matt did have his hands over his ears. And shorts as well hunched it up as if he wanted to cover them with those two. How are we going to hide in this? He demanded loudly when he saw Rand looking. How can we tell you who to trust you with so many? So bloody many. Like the noise! Randy looked at Bunt before answering. The farm was here caught him up and he staring at the city. With the noise, he might not have heard anyway. Still, Randy put his mouth close to Rand. Rand put uh, it's <laughs> Rand like, put his mouth it's... close to Rand's ear because that's a pretty impressive neat, feat. <laughs> neat trick. <laughs> Still, Rand put his mouth closer to Matt's ear. How can they find us among so many? Can't you see it, you wool-headed idiot? We're safe if we ever learn to watch your bloody tongue. He flung out a hand here to take in everything, the markets. Eight walls still ahead. Look at it, Matt. Anything could happen here. Anything. We might, might even find Moraine waiting for us, and Egwene, and all the rest. I mean, it's it's an impressive city to say the least. And as Almond Bunt would have you believe, it's the greatest, grandest city in the world. Um, I do, I do yeah. think that. Wait. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, we could just hear, like, here, reiterate here the um, description of the city verbatim, but, you know, even though they're probably not doing it justice. With, uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where Robert Jordan did the best at describing his city, so he's the person you should probably look to to describe it for you. But, again, this is kind of a read-along system, so yeah, it probably would help to... <laughs> Read along. Um, but if you're just looking for like a paraphrased shortened series summary or something, this will do as well, but you're going to miss a lot of good content if you do that. Um, it is interesting to know that Camelin is built by Ogier. Now, Ogier are well-known stonemasons and highly sought after. Also highly expensive. <laughs> Um, Tarvalin was built by Ogier. Um, Camelin was built by Ogier. And there's several big cities and capitals are built by Ogier if they are, have been around set length of time. But 
Um, not a whole many places outside of like a, a few of the main capitals and such would be built out of uh, Ogier workmanship and stuff. But it is interesting to know that it is built by Ogier, at least the inner city of the palace. Um, outer Camlin's a little bit different, but or I should say the outer city. Um, but it's funny that Matt's initial reaction is his major distrust of everyone and saying, there's so many people, how are we going to trust anybody? It's like, don't you see? And that's basically what Rand says. Don't you see? We can hide in this because it is so many people. No one's going to look at two people twice when there's thousands of people to look at. It's, it's too yeah. many people to keep track of. Unless, of course, you're Rand, stupid tall and stand out like a sore thumb. But he could probably help himself by hunching and um, doing a couple other things. Maybe he could dye his hair or whatever. I don't know. There's a couple of things he could do. Yeah. But like here, technically like both statements are true. Like any like the situation kind of is, he just did like a double, a double sided sword. Yeah. Sorry. Double two-bladed edged. sword. Double, yeah, double edged sword. <laughs> that's the time. Uh, because he, yeah. You can conceal yourself quite easily, but you can't trust anyone. But at the especially same the, time, like, they don't necessarily need to trust anyone. They just have to watch their own mouths. It's really the thing. Because, I mean, the entire push up to this point had been Dark Friends and the Merge all trying to catch them before Camelin. Now, if they're trying to catch them in Camelin, they've got their work cut out for them because they got to actually be able to track them. And how are they going to track them? If you have like, yeah, I saw them go into the city. Did you follow them? Well, how am I supposed to follow them? There's like a million people here. <laughs> like, <laughs> where, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to look for? How am I supposed to keep track of somebody when all it takes is a wall of people to separate us and pull me back and them get ahead and they just have to dash around a corner and it's impossible to follow follow again so remember you are hunting two young farm boys two young farm boys got it then he just turns around looks at the stage ah! <laughs> it's like ah there's like a thousand of them right in the first 50 feet yeah. <laughs> basically so um it's just interesting seeing their reactions and how different they are i mean i would typically agree with rand being more logical i understand that there needs to be cautious and you know be careful with who they're given trust to but i feel he's making a bigger deal out of it than he needs to um and of course finishing up with you know we might find more rain waiting for sir Egwene. he's like well if they're alive if you ask me they're as dead as the gleeman and of course, that just wipes any cheerfulness off of Rand's face, and you know, <laughs> and this this sentence, anything could happen in a city like Camelin. I'm just thinking of like uh, Tropic Thunder and uh, Robert uh, Robert Downey Jr. like, <laughs> you just went full retard. Never go full retard. I'm just like, anything can happen in a city like Camelin. Anything. <laughs> just like, well, that's. A good and a bad thing, I suppose. Um, but basically, Bunt's, you know, flapping away, and the horse is just kind of taking its time. And they get closer and closer and closer, and the crowd just gets more crammed together. It's just absolutely just filling the, the streets, 
filling the outside the gates and I would assume there'd be vendors and whatnot where people are trying to sell wares. Um, and before they even get into the city, it's just packed, you know, shoulder to shoulder carts and wagons, just everybody just pushing into things, trying to get to wherever their destination is, which this would be the perfect place for a cut purse. But, um, and it's funny because Rand's actually happy to see that there's a lot of dusty young men afoot um, with little in the way of belongings. Just like, hey, that's us. <laughs> and that is too. And that is too. <laughs> so it, it makes him feel a little bit better about stuff. Um, and there's just a lot of people just pushing towards the gates. And it just seems like they're all travel weary or, you know worn down from all the travel. I mean, some of them probably walked a couple miles to get here. Some of them walked probably several leagues to get here. Um, and as they get to the, the gates, they notice that there's about six or so Queens guard and they're like uber clean in their red and white tabards, burnished mail and plate. Um, I probably should actually look up a picture of what the Queens guard look like. Because I do have a picture in my mind, but... I should probably look it up for you, just so you uh, don't get ruined by any spoilers. But I would imagine, considering what a tabard is, it probably looks very much like the old, you know, King Richard red and white style with a lion on it. Just in this case, it be a rose as opposed to... Yeah, kind of what people would kind of recognize as either kind of crusading Templar knights... Uh, not necessarily Templar Knights. I'd say the Children of the Light probably would fit the Templar Knights a bit closer. Um, oh. I, I would say it's more like one side of their tabard is red, one side of theirs is white, or it could be the checkered system where it's like four pieces or whatever, and it's red and white. But I'm, I'm leaning more towards the half and half um, with probably a rose or something on it since that's, you know, Morghese's thing. Um, well, I should say the Andor thing it's the rose crown <laughs> but um one of the things to note about the queen's guards that they're very disciplined and they're like you know backs are rigid their heads are straight um you know obviously looking at everybody like i really don't want to let you in but i'm gonna have to um but at, aside from you know making sure the traffic is clear to leave the city and for it to come in. The only time they really say anything is to like stop people who are trying to push too fast. It's almost like they're giving them speeding tickets for walking too fast, but not really. Like they're just saying, Hey, 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 slow down. No trampling. Um, and I love this phrase. Keep your places. Don't push. Don't push the light blind you. There's room for everybody. The light help us keep your places. <laughs> and those of us who can really feel for the Queen's card, let me tell you. Um, and then, of course, but call blind, call blind, you see, they're herding cats <laughs> basically. Um, especially when there's a lot of uh laser pointers all over the place, <laughs> but that and mice, um. So Almond Bunt's cart rolls into the gates with 
basically everybody else moving at one solid throw. Just like, ah, speed limits. You don't need them. Um, that's just my fun little nitpicking at speed limits. Um, so then we get more and more descriptions of the inner, the city, which be, they would have just entered the outer city. Um, and then the inner city a little bit further ahead, but it's a beautiful description. Absolutely beautiful. Um, but Rand notices that it changes, or at least you say the people's demeanor kind of changes, or at least I should say he notices it better to where everything looks kind of dead, like the trees, the branches, the grass, everything. Um, and it's almost like the people wandering around are trying to avoid looking at it. And it's almost like they're trying to uh, be blissfully ignorant of the fact that, you know, winter has been going for too long. Um, things aren't growing as they're supposed to be. Uh, life's going to get really, really hard. And they're like, well, as long as I don't look at it or as long as I don't accept it by, you know, looking at it and thinking about it, I could just get on with my life. No big deal. Um, but Rand's just caught just seeing all these people and everything. Um, but they uh, get down a, a side street and that's like twice the width of any any street in Emmons Field. Um, Bunt draws his cart to the little stop with the horse and everything, and um, everybody kind of just moves around like the cart's not there. And Bunt kind of probably has been dealing with this in his head since he picked them up last night. And he's like, are you actually, you know, are you actually hiding what Holden says you're hiding? And Rand's in the middle of putting saddlebags on his shoulder and he didn't even, you know, twitch. And he's like, what are you, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Um, and he thinks, you know, his voice is good to go, but his stomach is just, whoo, it's turning. And he's just proud that his voice is staying steady. So Matt's trying to not yawn, but puts the other one under his coat, clutching the dagger he got from Shader Logoth. Um, and his eyes, you know, kind of change to the hunted, you know, untrusting look underneath the scarf that's wrapped around his head. Um, Bunt specifically ignoring Matt because he's like, yeah, I know he's got, you know, a hidden hand somewhere. But Bunt's like, mm, I guess it doesn't mean anything really, but, um, but hey, if I knew you were coming to Camelin, you were there long enough to hear the rest, but basically if I'm going after the reward, I would have just been like, oh, no, I forgot to go grab something and then, you know, run inside the Goose and Crown, speak to Holdwin. But I don't really like Holdwin, and I definitely don't like the friend of his. So, yeah. 
And it seems like he wants you boys more than he wants, you know, really anything else, be it the sword or whatever. And Ran's like, well, I don't know what he wants. Never seen him before. And he's like, it's probably the truth. He couldn't tell one fade from another. It's like, well, it might be. <laughs> That's not something you're ever going to find out, but. And, but he's like, well, um, I don't know nothing. And I guess I don't really want to know, but there's enough trouble around for anybody without me looking for more. So Matt slowly gathers his things up and Rand is already in the street before, you know, Matt started climbing down. And of course, Rand's like, let's get going. Let's get going. Matt turned stiffly from the cart and everything. Um, but now Matt, keep in mind, he hasn't slept <laughs> basically all night. Um, he's got, you know, bags under his eyes and whatnot. Um, Random is his, he's really, really hungry. His stomach rumbles and he's like, oh, this is not good. Um, he thinks he might vomit, but Matt's just staring at him like, all right, what are we doing now? Bunt leaned over and, you know, beckons Rand over and he's hoping, Rand's hoping he can get some advice about Camelin, but the farmer, you know, is like, hey, I'd hide that. Obviously mentioning the sword. And people keep walking by, but you know, nobody's saying anything, really. And um, he's like, just stop wearing it, get rid of it, hide it, sell it, give it to somebody else. And he's like, hey, that's my little two cents, but um, that's going to draw attention, and I'm guessing you don't want that. Then he just go like, all right, and clucks to his horse and disappears into the crowd. It's just like... All right, cart's gone. No idea where we are. We're in Camelin. Now what do we do? And that's exactly what Matt says. What do we do now? <laughs> um, and he's kind of just like probably having a sensory overload, considering how loud it is, but also with his condition of trusting nobody, he's getting hammered pretty hard by just everything all at once. So. Um, he kind of confirms, he's like, well, Rand, we're, we're here in Camelin, but now what? And even if they are, how are we supposed to find them in this giant mess, AKA like a beehive? Um, and Rand's just like, yeah, Lorraine will find us. <laughs> it's like, uh, huh. How do you figure? <laughs> and... Yeah, that's, that's very trusting. Well, he's or, he's hoping to an eye to die, but well, blindly hopeful. But... He'll find out. Um, <laughs> he he'll find out the hard way, more than likely. Um, he tries to se seek the void, like his father taught him, but basically not going to happen. So he just you know focuses on everything that's immediately around him. And just looks at one street and it almost reminds him of Barillon. And it's like, that's the last place they had all thought they were safe. And it's like, well, nobody's safe anymore, but maybe they're all dead. What do you do then? And then he's fiercely, basically barks out like, they're alive. The great's alive. And Matt's like, well, maybe, but what if it, Maureen doesn't find us? There's the pragmatism right there. Um, what if nobody does but the... 
you know, the dude. <laughs> and I'll go ahead and uh, pick up this because he wasn't able to say anything. We'll think about it when it happens, he told Matt firmly. If it happens. The worst meant seeking out Elida, the Aes Sedai in the palace. He would go on to Tar Valen first. He did not know if Matt remembered what Tom had said about the Red Aja and the Black, but he surely did. His stomach twisted again. Tom said to find an inn called the Queen's Blessing. We'll go there first. How? We can't afford one meal between the two of us. At least it's a place to start. Tom thought we could find help there. I can't. Rand, they're everywhere. Matt dropped his eyes to the paving stones and seemed to shrink in on himself, trying to pull away from people that were all around them. Wherever we go, they're right behind us. Or they're waiting for us. They'll be at the Queen's Blessing, too. I can't... I... Nothing's going to stop a fade. Rand grabbed Matt's collar in a fist that he was trying hard to keep from trembling. He needed Matt. Maybe the other was, yeah. Maybe the others were alive. Like, please. But right then and there, it was just Matt and him. The thought of going on alone. He swallowed hard, tasting bile. He looked around quickly. No one seemed to have heard Matt mention the fade. The crowd pressed past, long on its own worries. He put his face close to Matt. We've made it this far, haven't we? He asked in a hoarse whisper. They haven't caught us yet. We can make it all the way if we just don't quit. I won't just quit and wait for them like sheep for slaughter. I won't. Well, are you going to stand there till you starve to death? Or until they come pick you up in a sack? Well, tensions are rising. <laughs> yeah. Matt's being extremely depressed about this entire fiasco, which, I mean, to be fair, it is kind of just... It is kind it's, of a dire situation. It's, but... it's, not, it's not ideal. I'll throw that out there. It's not an ideal situation. It's more dire than they would like it to be, which is probably to say... Yeah, I should probably actually, I should probably like read back to um, see if it like if there's a correlation between uh Matt's dourness, dour and like depressed mood, and like the amount of sleep that he's had. <laughs> well, some of it might be sleep, some of it might not be. I mean, there's sometimes they jump in a haystack, they get pretty good sleep, all intents and purposes. But it could also be you know the dreams kept him awake or whatever, but. There's a lot of hypotheses. Yeah, yeah, dreams of ravens just coming in, picking your eyes out. Well, that's Rand's thing, but yeah. Well, we don't, we don't know what. Uh, well, Matt's we know Matt didn't get that one because Matt didn't sleep because Bunt was talking the whole night. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Rand's trying to stay positive. He's trying to do what he can do to get them to a place where they can get found by Moraine. Um. And they have a lead, which is the Queen's Blessing, but the only lead that that really leads to is the fact that the Queen's Blessing apparently is friendly to Tom, and that's about it. And 
Moraine doesn't know that's where they're going to go. And Moraine doesn't know anything about Tom, let alone that that's where he would, he would go. So it's going to be a little tricky, but he thinks, you know, Moraine, she's an Aes Sedai. She'll find me and Matt, but Matt's just like, I mean, we're not going to be able to get away from a fade. Like, well, I don't think you'll be seeing any of those walking around the town with freaking Queensguard running around, but you never know. Um, and of course, we get a little pep talk. It's supposed to pick up spirits, and I don't know if it necessarily does, but <laughs> um, after his little speech, he, you know, pulls away from Matt and heads away. Um, he's trembling, but it's kind of hard to tell whether or not it's fear or anger or just trying to hold himself together or something. But then Matt's walking next to him with his eyes down and Rand's leaving out of breath, but just like, Oh, thank you for coming with me. And Matt's like, I'm sorry. And Rand's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> just like, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's how you build friendships right there. Yeah. You know, just grab your, grab your best friend, but the the lapels and be like, now you listen yeah. to me. I <laughs> <laughs> eh, forget it. <laughs> so Matt barely looks up, to keep from running into people and whatnot. And he's just like, well, I can't stop thinking. I'll never see home. And I want to go home. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Laugh it up, fuzzball. But I, I want to be, you know, basically have my mom yell at me for not doing my chores or something like anything. Uh, it would make me feel a lot better. And all these people around are just, it's weighing down on me. And I don't have any idea who to trust. If I can really trust anybody. But the two rivers is so far away. Might as well be clear on the other side of the continent. And then what? But we're alone. We'll probably never get home. So we're going to die. And Rand's like, not yet. We won't. He's like, everyone's going to die at some point. But the wheel turns. And I'm not going to curl up and wait for it to happen, though. And Court Matt's like, <laughs> you sound like Master Alv here. <laughs> um, and Rand's like, good. Like wow, that's that, the person you thought was gonna be your father-in-law. I don't know if you want to sound like him, but okay. Um, they began looking for the queen's blessing and getting directions from people, allegedly. Um, but there's such a variety of there's such a variety of directions um, that they don't really get anywhere initially. Um, there's a guy about as big as Perrin. He's like, you know, Queen's Blessing, you country boys, Queensmen. And he's wearing a white cockade on his wide-brimmed hat and a white armband on his long coat. Well, you've come too late. Which seems to imply that something's going on in the city. And Rand has no flipping idea what's going on. And, of course, he, you know, heads off laughing raucously. And Matt and, or Matt and, Parent, Matt and Rand uh, are just, like, staring at each other like, I don't have any idea what's going on. And I'm thinking, you'd think there'd be people 
sitting at the gate to be like, here's the latest in the political system of what's going on in Camelon. So people who are coming in who obviously look brand spanking new are like, I have no idea what's going on. Um, and they might get some input on what yeah. to go with, but yeah, that that would make sense. Otherwise, you're you know you're just getting flooded with idiots, low information people. Um, yeah, which these two are. So <laughs> speak for yourself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, they're seeing all this unique stuff. People or women with veils across their faces, wearing stiff dresses. Um, some dresses had more skin better than any tavern maid you've ever seen you know a bunch of different variety of people um, yeah so you know maybe uh randall wouldn't actually stick out that much yeah possibly don't know yet uh, rand's pretty unique you know you'll see um it's funny though he's like some of them stood out in the crowd skin's too dark or too pale and it's just like i think that kind of points out a lot of the things that I had mentioned prior systems about the uh, the kind of mixing in big cities where, you know, merchants yeah. from all over the place kind of coming into the place. So I think, though, based off of things like women with veils across their faces, that's a cultural, culturally specific thing to a specific area in the world. It's not like oh people in this town and people in that town do it with other people in other towns doing it it's it's legitimate yeah. like people who are wearing these things like it's a style from a location it'd be kind of like somebody like aladdin or somebody walking into a room filled with you know chainmail men it's just like that i just walk into a viking place that i walk into just medieval europe but obviously I as Aladdin wouldn't fit in because my style is that of, you know, Saudi Arabia or something. So it's the style is going to be different based upon where they're from, but it doesn't mean they can't obviously travel, be merchants. I mean, heck they could even technically move, but you can tell who's from where based upon them and their apparel. Now yeah, the series doesn't is... go ahead. No, no, you, you finish what you say because I, I'll probably end up be doing a little bit of a spiel. So, <laughs> get off your soapbox. Um, <laughs> Never. I was gonna say um, the series does have evidence to show that some people adopt other cultures, cultures and ethnic groups, I should say, um, adopts their styles and whatnot when they move someplace, but they still look like they came from somewhere else. They're just, they're wearing the style. It'd be like if you have somebody who's typically, you know, a culture that's dark skinned than somebody who's wearing the same clothing style, but is of a lighter skin. You could tell they're not originally from that location, but they are adopting that place probably because they live there or they just like the style, but it's typically based upon the people who are from that area. And it's a, a noticeable there's something noticeable about them. You can say, oh, this person's from this place or whatever. It's the same thing where um, if you were to go into like medieval times or whatever, and you'd have different lords bringing their men at arms, they'd have their men at arms wearing their colors and their sigil. 
you'd be like, oh, that person's from this place because they know they can equate that sigil and that coloring with a particular location. It's just basic identity of, you know, a culture or ethnicity or whatever to be able to be like, this place does this type of thing. It's like when you go to uh, like New York City or anywhere else and they have like Chinatown. Well, when you go down, you can tell who actually is Chinese as opposed to European, African or South American or something like it's there. There are very, very different, obvious uh, tones and everything to each person. And while there's nothing wrong with them being different from each other, in actuality, it's one of the things I liked about it is because there's a whole lot of people. So you could always have something cool interacting. I mean, the interactions could be anything from um, people from like Altara who, are used to having duels versus people like maybe up in the borderlands who are, you know, just rough soldiers or something like that. They're more or less more likely to, you know, run into each other and have different reactions to running into each other. Like obviously somebody in Altara is going to pull a knife on somebody like you want to go. And the other person is like, I will just slap you down. <laughs> but, um, it could also be a person who runs into the and he's like, oh, I'm, I beg your pardon. I'm, I'm sorry. And the other person would be like, oh, no, no, I mean, whatever. And it, it could be any combination of anything. But it's nice because there's just there's so many people from different places that come to the same place. And it's not a big deal. Like, that's really, really, really cool. Now, obviously, if one of these countries declared war in another country, that would probably flush out. The, each particulars of each location, even if the people had been there for a long time, just due to the nature of how war makes people extremely cautious towards a group of people that like, for instance, Tyr and Ilion. Tyr and Ilion are almost always at war with each other or always looking for a fight or giving, trying to get a reason to fight. So you're not going to find many Ilioners in Tyr and you're not going to find many people from Tyr and Ilion just because they're not a whole lot of love going for each other there. So if you're an Ilioner, you're not going to have a whole lot of business as a merchant or something in tier. Now you might have a business partner who's not Ilioner and you have them go to tier, but you don't want to be an Ilioner in tier or someone from tier or a tyrant, I should say um, in Ilion. It's just, it's going to be a bad business. B extremely dangerous. <laughs> so um it's just bad blood causes that problem and typically when a war it breaks out between <clears throat> excuse me whoo that's not good on me <laughs> when a war breaks uh -huh. out between two kingdoms or something it's basically becomes that bad blood and as much as most people would like to think that that's not a good thing or that's not a th while it's not necessarily a good thing it's more or less understandable, especially back then when they had like no way to really test anything. Like, are you telling the truth? Or are you not telling the truth? Blah, blah, blah. But I still think it's really cool that there's a lot of different people. And this from Rand and Matt's perspective, you got people that are skins too dark or skins too pale, which means that where they're from, probably doesn't have ultra pale people and probably doesn't have ultra dark people. It's probably going to be more in the middle, which like I will hold to consistently. I lean more towards the Mediterranean 
what they're expecting. It's a little bit more olive colored skin. Um, is probably what they're used to because otherwise, you know, they'd be used to dark and or too dark and too pale if that was the case. But albeit as it may, just the mass amount of people in this city is astounding to them. And they're seeing all types of things. I'm not going to describe everything because that's, I might as well just read it verbatim and I'm just not going to do that. But I, you, did you have something to say about this specific thing or did you want to wait until later as an overall? <sighs> okay. Either well, one my, doesn't matter. Well, my things here a little, I guess a little quick, just because I do like, um, I know just in essence, I do like, a, you know, different cultures in my fantasy worlds. And, you know, when, when did like hit the archive? noticeable and like there are strong distinctions about them and um i don't know i i just think it kind of like it from it like the sort of historical perspective where like um certain cultures had like sort of certain values to them so because i've been here looking at uh, the right like the varankian guard of the byzantine empire and you know they like they were just like viking mercenaries and just like the fact that they came from so far away compared to like where they were, they were seen as you know foreigners and different and mysterious and all that. And um, but like their ability to fight was seen as extremely desirable, and they were sought after. Yeah, and they, I don't know. I just I just kind of like that, and you know, something just I guess like. I know. Yeah, just I like variety. I guess that's the best thing I, mean, I can say. I, th- I think variety is great as long as it's natural and not forced. And, yeah, if, if and, it actually makes sense. Like, yeah. it doesn't make sense to be a full air to be like, in this country, there's white people, and then you're like, a couple of miles see you down across the border, there's black people. And it's like, that's not quite how it works. Well, it's like um, the Total War series, which is a grand strategy game and whatnot. Um, they did, I believe it was their Rome 2 game, and possibly in some other ones I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, they had, like, other countries outside of, like, Rome and whatnot, where they would have, like, almost... Actually, they were almost... They were entirely composed of women. And it's, like, historically, which Total War used to be historical, now they've kind of shot themselves in the foot and gone completely away from it, and I'm not going to get into that, because just grinds my gears um but they kind of just like yeah let's have an entire military of just female generals and all all women in every single person in the army it's just like that's hyper unrealistic considering that historically that was not the case you might occasionally have a female general you might occasionally have like a small battalion of females that specifically do something but it wasn't seen back in Roman ages or even later on in the Renaissance period and whatnot. That's not a common thing. They're like, oh, no, sure. You can have an army of like 20,000 women. It's like, that's highly unrealistic. <laughs> but, I mean, if you're just playing it as a fantasy game and you don't really care about yeah. the historical accuracy, I mean, hey, it's fine. Do whatever you do you. But I didn't care for the fact that they were kind of like pushing it. It's just almost like, guys most women aren't going to volunteer to get themselves killed. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think, I don't know, I think that you get like, um, some fancy writers and, you know, 
I did this here with like signing out here were pretty much it. It's just like, oh, I want this culture and this culture and this culture and my thing and just kind of copy pasting throughout history. And so just see, taking a very slapdash approach without here, like, you know, taking, taking the time to actually like iron things out because there are just so many aspects here that go into actually like making a people. And you just see like, just see like the fundamental beat, just see like the lay of the land, that kind of like shape. Just see like people's attitudes and kind of values and such. Well, I mean, you could even say it like uh, geographically, so to speak. Like if you look at the IRL in real life world, um, you can see based upon like where the equator is, where the equator is not. And as you get further away from the equator, you typically get lighter skinned people. And the closer you get to the equator, you get darker skinned people. And it's just either a, that's nature basically f forcing people to adapt to their location and they will adapt over time to the point where it becomes a genetic thing to their kids and whatnot. So that's how you get, more notably, you know, darker skinned people closer to the border because their body has to adapt to it or they're probably going to die. Um, whereas the people who are further away from the border are getting less of the nutrients and stuff that you would need to survive in that location and thus have paler skin because they're further away from all that extra heat and more daylight. Because, I mean, if you go to, like, certain places up north and, like, Iceland and whatnot, they have some places that they don't get sun for certain important parts of the year and whatnot. It's like, okay, if you're not getting sun like that, you're not going to be able to get those same natural nutrients that you're going to need to survive in a place further South. And it's just, that's just the nature of it. There's no, it's not like it's a big deal. I mean, it's just, that's just where people were that's how their cultures grew up. And now that we can, you know, hop in an airplane and travel, you know, halfway across the world in a couple hours, it's, it's a lot easier for somebody that's used to living near the equator to move somewhere that's not close to the equator and vice versa. But I mean, I know for myself, cause I'm more Northerner in my heritage. So I don't do nearly as well. I should say um, going someplace further south where it gets hotter and hotter because I like cold. And if I go someplace that's really, really, really hot, like they're like, oh, yeah, it's 115 degrees in the shade. It's all good. This is really cool for us. And I'm sitting here like, are you kidding me? I'm like <laughs> dripping like a freaking popsicle stick. It's ridiculous. And don't get me wrong. I love going there because I have friends and places down south and whatnot. It's, it's awesome but I don't enjoy the heat. It's just not my thing. So obviously as a northerner, I would typically prefer a place probably further north. Same thing as people who are typically from south avoid going north because it's too cold or the wind's too chilly or there's too much snow or whatever. It's not a big deal. It's just the nature of people's preferences and possibly where they were born. If they have an affinity, like I have an affinity to mountains ocean and snow because i was born next to all three of those um i could be the exception to the rule but i've met people who have uh similar instances and whatnot but the point being is that there's a lot of variety of reasons but 
the the author could be using geographical ones. I mean, there's not any mention of an equator in this series, but there is mention of in this place there's snow, in this place there's not. So <laughs> it's just like maybe they're closer to the equator in the Andoran or even further south of Andor um, to where that is a thing, or it could completely not be a thing. We just don't know because it's not mentioned in the book. Um, but it's probably presumed that the people in the South aren't necessarily worried as much about winter because normally winter's not a thing as long down there where up on the borderlands, it snows most of the year. And I would assume that's partial accurate, um, partially accurate geography, but I don't know if that has anything to do with the overall scheme of things. Cause not every author goes that in depth for it. I mean, I'd like to think that Robert Jordan did, or is the kind of author that would, but I can't say for sure, for, for certain, for certain. <laughs> um, but with the variety of cultures and whatnot, how I viewed them, I think they're, I, I, I don't know if magic plays a, a big enough deal to where it would change the weather or whatnot per location in an abstract way. But if Robert Jordan didn't really base it off of the geographical setting of like where the equator is versus not, um, then it's probably unlikely. Now, from what I understand from certain borderland countries, it makes it seem like equator doesn't even play a factor in this entire thing. It's just there's snow up north and there's not snow down south. And that's that. So that's what I would lean towards because, you know, having, you know, a variety of ethnic groups up in the borderlands kind of defeats the in real life aspect of it here where we would have a more obvious like people with darker skin would prefer probably to be in a place like that's why like mediterranean people are closer to the mediterranean and the norse are typically much farther north they're not like neighbors to each other um so i that's what i would assume is trying to go on is that he's not necessarily holding to a natural real life geographical reason for why people are where they are i think he just kind of put people where they were and they are what they are and because of the way they've described them that's just how it, i imagine it because there's no other way to work with it but if somebody else knows something else that i'm missing that'd be kind of cool to learn as well because I, I think it'd be kind of cool to learn a bit more about each of the cultures and what they have to offer but i guess the real point is in this it's Every, every major city is going to have a massive cultural melting pot, so to speak, where they all kind of just pull something in. With the exception of maybe Terabon and Eridamon having a whole lot of opposites of each other in their area and uh, Tyr and Ilion, just because there's kind of a little bit of bad blood between each of those perspective groups um, with each other they probably don't have too much of each other in them because of constant infighting or whatever, but it's still possible. Highly, highly unlikely for certain ones, especially Tyr and Ilion, since they just as a homogenous group despise each other. Um, and I'm sure we'll see that as we go around the world, but 
with Matt and Rand, they're seeing it from like the perspective of the small remnant of Manetherin going into a place and just seeing such a crazy variety. They're not used to it. So, like I said, it makes me, it leads me to believe they have more of a Mediterranean thing where they have like an olive skin. It's not too dark, but it's not too pale. Um, and that way, that would explain like, wow, this is what we're seeing. Now, obviously, I think Rand's the exception to this because he's more of a carrot top. <laughs> so I, I don't think he would have olive skin particularly, but um, his mom had red hair, which probably leads me to believe that because she's an outlander, it's no one would question that he wouldn't have this olive skin. So they, they would probably put one, or I guess not one, one two and two together and figure out that, you know, Rand doesn't have necessarily the Manetheran blood in him per se, except through maybe Tam. Um, but I think that explains how they reacted to something. Um, but they see a lot of fights and stuff and it's not a pretty and kind of I, I, before I jump into this any further, did you have anything else to say on that? With your sub box or whatever. Nah, just um. <laughs> You're like oh. I don't. I don't. <laughs> uh, there's so many like ideas bouncing around in my head right now, and um, I can't even formulate them. Just okay. because yeah, like there was a. There was. Uh, okay, there's like a little extra um, story bits he featured in uh, a Game of Thrones. Like little animated sections in which you go through like the lore and stuff, and there's a bit where Jorah Mormon is uh, talking about here, like one of the great, um, it was even like one of the great cities or like one of the great markets, and he like he goes here across, he goes through like all of the varying um, cultures here that like travel there, and he like all the sort of like various like, icons of that culture, and he like I just remember that like um, there you learn about here like. Uh, the Song of Ice and Fire, their version of, like, um, zebras. But, like, you know, Jorah doesn't actually know that the zebras here, so he calls them, like, striped horses or something like that. Yeah, it's it's the, uh, I you want know, to say, the, ro the roleplay of... view of ignorance because they don't know what it is as what we would know it as, so they would describe it the best way they could. Yeah. Well, you know, I that's interesting. one of the things I like just because, you know, I don't know we 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 take his so much of what we know for granted just because you know yeah. if the internet didn't exist would we even know that much about you like say the town like the town five miles away depending on the person probably not though yeah I so mean, you know how could we possibly know about like know about and also know that the information is true about like you know the people in like the next country over or like the next several countries over. Well, I mean, historically, uh, cultures were extremely homogenous, but they all had their something something unique about them. I mean, even if you were like Saudi Arabia and you had Iraq and Iran or anything like that, obviously before they were those modern names, but um, they had similarities, but they were still slightly unique from each other. And if you came from a totally opposite side of the world, like, say, Europe... Um, you'd probably walk in and say they're all the same because they would look 
oddly same, similar in terms of their skin tone, their habits, um, what they prefer, like even heck, the freaking mounts they have are probably going to be more likely camels than not. Um, even though, I mean, they still did use horses, but it was easier to use camels in the desert because they can last longer. But that's something that to a European would be odd. It's just like, they, they're just like, why are you using these camel things? Like, why would you use a good horse or something? And to the other side, they're thinking the opposite. They're like, why aren't you using camels? <laughs> it's like, well, we don't yeah. have deserts. I mean, yeah, that's that's a good reason not to use them. Um, and we don't those have are, any. <laughs> yeah. Those are actually, like, actually kind of counter to what I said. I still find it, like, a bit balmy that um, the Romans actually, like, knew about China. They knew about it? Yeah. Apparently, like, um through trade trading merchants um oh yeah uh, i mean the two the two cultures were like aware of each other and they like that were actually like a little bit of crossover i but, i, I know, can that, see that, that happening considering still, trade existed so yeah i don't know it's it's still sort of just a kind of one of those weird historical things here just because well, he, i we, mean we rome was so... flipping huge dude <laughs> it's yeah, bigger, well, it bigger than alexander the great's version so well, this is kind of the um, I don't know. It's a, it's a sort of like a personal sort of flaw with it, like the way that he, like I was taught history. It was here, like okay, we're learning about the Romans, and they see like you don't think of the, the Chinese until much later on. <laughs> well, if, well, it's here, like the, the, there's the Romans, then there's the ancient Egyptians, and they see like they don't ever actually. We were never actually taught here that they like you know they coexist at the same time, or and here, like there were like loads of overlap or any of that, and. Quite a lot of what I actually know about history is he kind of self-taught, so you know that's probably why there's massive holes and miscongruities um, <laughs> in there. But you know, I, I'm I'm learning. I'm you know learning as you go. Yeah, I mean, I just I find it interesting because a historical uh, record of you know humanity and whatnot is that they, we started out in these homogenous groups, and then as the ages passed eventually it was more common to kind of begin melding them together, especially after like conquests or anything of that nature where, you know, one culture subdues another culture or whatever. They'd probably absorb that culture into their culture. And then they would kind of move on and move on and move on. And I can see this with like when Alexander the great took over a lot of places, especially pushing pretty hard towards India. Um, he's going to have obviously Macedonians and Greeks, and then he's going to go through, you know, Assyrian territory or formerly Assyrian territory, since obviously they got wiped out by the Babylonians. Then he's going to go through like the Persians territory and whatnot. Like there's a lot of people that were very different from them that they're going to run into and absorb as they conquer their territories. So that would create that kind of a mixed concept. So, I think one of those things is where I can see the wheel of time being not too terribly long after the breaking of the world where everything kind of reset and probably groups would go to with those that were similar to them because that's the typical human thing to start out as. And then over time, they would eventually start flowing into other cultures and kind of mingling a bit more. And then becoming something much like what the U.S. is, is the quote-unquote melting pot, where it's a little bit of everybody is here. Um, I just don't think that 
the world is quite there yet in the Wheel of Time as it is in this particular book. It may get there at some point, but I don't see it quite yet um, because they don't really have a reason to. Everyone, like The Andorans are very proud to be Andorans. They're proud they're not Kyrianan. They're proud that they're not Tyran. There's, they're proud that they're not Ilianers. They're proud, especially, that they're not Mirandians. Um, <laughs> they're proud that they're not another culture. And basically, every other culture is the exact same way. So it makes me think that they're they're holding to their own particular, uh, their own particular culture, their own particular homogenous group, because this is how they kind of recovered after um, the Trolloc Wars, and you know, Minethrin fell apart, and their allies fell apart, and their allies fell apart, and then basically all these groups fell apart, and then kind of pushed back in together. Now, there are some history issues where the you know this person had this kind of a thing and this person had that kind of a thing. Um, I believe it was uh, a queen of Andor was supposed to be uh, darker skin complexion and whatnot, which is fine and dandy. I don't I don't know much about the hows and whys because they don't ever explain like how she got there why she was there. It could have been a marriage thing. It could have been an adoption thing. We don't know because they don't tell us, but we know now that the typical heads of the higher houses of Andor and Kyrian and a couple of the more locally places are typically of a lighter skin. And it's not because they drove out people with different color skin. It was because it's just how it ended up being. It's just like this. This is how it is because that's just how it ended up being. Some of it might have been because of conflict. Some of it might have not been of conflict. But as of it is currently with Queen Morgays and her kids and whatnot, they were more of a mix between Andor and Kyrian, which is essentially like Britain and France, essentially, with their, you know, picking on each other and everything. But it's one of those things where it's not ultimately a big deal. But it does give you insight into the cultures at large in the entire world and also the reactions people from those places have to others that they're not familiar with. It's kind of like in you know Lord of the Rings, you can tell a Rohirrim versus a Gondoran because they dress quite differently, they act quite differently. And they look quite different, even though you could argue that they're both European. They're just very, very different, even in their similarities. Um, so imagine a place where, you know, you have a much more broad variety of uh, diversity. And again, natural diversity. I never I never saw this as forced diversity in the series, so I don't. I, I like the fact that it was done very naturally to where we can we can enjoy everything from both sides of the aisle and not have to worry necessarily about, you know, one side being upset because, you know, this was pushed too hard for some personal agenda rather than a natural world. I fully believe he built it in a natural setting and I love him for it because it it works so well. But I have heard some people argue for um, 
not so pleasant, <laughs> not so pleasant uh, comparisons between people and groups and whatnot, which I think is funny because like there are a lot of places that I would say are the furthest thing from European that I find absolutely fascinating and I enjoy thoroughly in this series. And if it was not, if it was, if it was done any way other than naturally, I don't know if those cultures and groups of people would be the way they are to where I could enjoy them. But it's, it's a good thing. It is the way it is, but a lot of people have taken it personally on that. It wasn't done the way they wanted it to. And it's just like, well, you can write your book and we'll read it and see what happens with it. Because I mean, he already did a fantastic job with the series and I think everybody can relate to the characters despite, you know, maybe not sharing the same skin color, maybe not sharing the same height, maybe not sharing the same hair color, maybe not sharing the same food preferences. You can still relate to somebody because what they do ultimately comes down to who they are and their personality, not their um, appearance. Although some appearances are funnier than others because even in their cultures, they stand out in a, a humorous way, but we'll get to that as we get there. Um, I just wanted to point out that there is a noticeably different, uh, reaction from Rand and Matt because it's a very different thing from what they're used to at home. So that was my main point ultimately, but I got a little more long winded in history and whatnot. <laughs> so sorry about that folks. No. Well, you know, constant fear that when we when we go over this here, oh, it's going to be a short chapter, but well, not anymore. Oh, <laughs> not <Whatever>. anymore. <laughs> um, so basically, they they're in the streets and they see some riots and whatnot, and they're like, "Oh, I'm out." And uh, a lot of people trying to sell relics from Loghain, the False Dragon, and uh, it's funny because it's like, "Hey." He was off. Rand's like, I probably was offered enough scraps of the, the dragon's cloak and fragments of his sword to make uh, multiple swords and half a dozen cloaks. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what happens when people are trying to scam you for money. Um, of course, Matt uh -huh. originally like was like, ooh, this is cool. And, you know, it is is one of those. Matt was finally kind of out of his gloomy a little bit, but it's just like, you know, after 17 30 50 80 times it's just kind of like you're killing me smalls uh, I, I can just imagine he just see it like his eyes lighting up and he just see this kind of dumb, dumb i can't believe it sort of smile and he just i see like each each hawker just see that comes and goes here just slowly fades down to just see just a somber grimace he's like yeah. I, I hate it here <laughs> probably um <laughs> But yeah, these hawkers would just be in there, disappear. Um, a lot of stuff about the false dragon being displayed before the queen in chains, and you know, there's white cloaks in the streets, but they walk oh, in the, they walk in an open space, and um, that that bubble of nobody bothering them follows them. It's that really funny thing that you see, like with in like fish underwater or something where you have that one fish going by and all the other fish move like out of the way. So it's always in this constant little section of its own stuff. And this happens just the same way as it did in Barillon. But 
Ram is constantly thinking about, you know, let's stay unnoticed. He uh, puts his cloak over his sword so, you know, people can't really see it. But eventually someone will wonder what he's hiding. And he was not going to stop wearing it when it's linked to his father. Now, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, can't you put it in your cloak or something, make it seem like a staff or pick up an actual staff, tie it to the staff and then wrap the staff with the cloth or something. And then just use that as like a walking cloth or something. I don't know. But I feel like there's plenty of other ways you could make it disappear. But he's like, no, I have to wear it on my hip. It's like, but why? <laughs> um, I mean, it's, you just don't understand. It's his link to his father. It's just, uh, you, you, you just you, can't understand. Just... <laughs> Your, your emotional reasoning is always the counter to my logical. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, but a lot of people wear swords, so he's not, like, too out there. But none of them are heron-marked. But all these guys end up having um, more... I don't really know how to describe it, like... Strips of cloth of varying colors. Red bound with white cord or white bound with red cord. And he's like, oh, well, I could utilize this. You know, for all he knows, a hundred heron marks could be hidden under those wrappings and no one would ever see it. And he thinks, hey, well, if we follow the local fashion, we'll fit in better. And I'm thinking, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, why are they red and white and white and red? Like that, that's gotta mean something. Like, how do you know which to pick? Are they the same price? Nope, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> so when I when I read well, when I was reading this, and not to spoil, like you know what's gonna happen. Well, I, yeah, I am just gonna spoil what happens it's, next. It's in this story, so it's fine. Well, it's it's just like that. You like, I know, I instantly knew that Rand would just go out and just you like get a cloth and try and copy this. I was like. This is go there's going to be some hidden meaning to like the cloth wraps. So, like, it's basically going to be like, uh, uh, if you're wearing what, wearing those colors, it's like, oh, I'm looking for a fight and stuff like that. And then he's just going to get challenged by someone or something unfortunate is going to happen. It's like, Rand, you idiot. Just, <laughs> you're fool. You're fool. You're fool of a took. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, it, it definitely. It's one of those. He he's not gonna know any better because no one's made him aware of it, and he's not familiar with. I mean, politics in general, but specifically not politics in Camelin. So, the political potential in this seems to be pretty high, considering the riots they saw had one group of people wearing white attacking somebody with red or vice versa or whatever. So like there's something going on. He's just not putting two and two together in this regard. And um, when he goes into the shop, he notices that the red cloth was cheaper than the white cloth, but he doesn't really see any difference inside the color. It's like they don't need to have any other differences. They just have to be the fact that they are in themselves different colors. Red is not white and white is not red. <laughs> 
But um, red is cheaper than white, so it makes you wonder, like, okay, well, what do these each stand for? Which we'll find out at some point. I don't know if we find out this. I don't remember if we found out this chapter or not, but. No, no, we don't. All right. Um, so, of course, ironically, the guy at the shop, the shopkeeper himself, is eyeing them down or up and down. And. Rand's just like, hey, well, we didn't come, we can't we didn't come to see Logan. We just came to see Camelon. And he says, the grandest city in the world. But then the shopkeepers still grimacing. So he's like, the light illumined good Queen Morgays. But I almost think it's like a question mark, like the light illumined Queen good Queen Morgays. <laughs> like, yeah. like he's almost not sure because he's like he's saying that hopefully. And this other guy's like, you make any trouble? And there's a hundred men in the sound of my voice will come and take care of you even if the gods won't. Get on about your filthy business as he, you know, spits close to Rand's foot. I'm sitting here going like, you had these two bumpkins just walk in here looking at stuff and are like, oh, hey, that looks cool. I'll take that. And then you're like condemning them for not knowing what's going on. Like, really? Like, you could at least be like, are you guys Queensmen or are you not Queensmen? And like that would answer all the questions. But. He's like, don't make. He's like, if you make any trouble, it's like they they don't even know what to make trouble because they don't know what's going on. Ah, this looks interesting. Fool, fool, <laughs> ignorant fool. You will never learn. Can I buy this, please? Please okay. don't hurt me. I just want to buy your wares. <laughs> so, um, you know, Rand, you know, covers his stuff and. You know, basically doing his his normal. Just I'm gonna hide my hair and gonna act like I'm blending in or whatever. And so far he's like, you know, whatever. But it's funny because he does nod at the shopkeeper as if he had bid him a cheerful farewell. <laughs> it's like, sure, have a good one. And it's just like, yeah, I don't think he has that kind of a a feel towards you, but okay. And of course, Matt's like, I bet he charged you double for that bloody cloth. Probably triple. Um, but it wasn't as easy as it looked originally to put together because of the way the fastening of the strips of cloth and the cords, the whole thing wouldn't fall off. Um, <laughs> and Matt's, of course, staying Mr. Positivity. Oh, I'll be trying to cheat his rand. I think we've come to see the false dragon like everybody else. We'll be lucky if somebody doesn't hit us on the head while we sleep. This is no place to be. Too many people. Let's leave for Talavarlan now. Or south to Ilion. And, you know, he wants to go see the hunt for the horn and all that jazz. He's just like, if we can't go home, let's just go somewhere else. <laughs> Rand's like, nope, I'm staying. If they're not here already, they'll come here sooner or later looking for us. I mean, it's not wrong. I mean, somebody will come here looking for them sooner or later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> may, may not be the people you want it to be, but... But he's not sure if he had the, the wrappings done the way everybody else has, but at least the herons on the scabbard and the hilt were hidden, and he thought it was secure. So they go back on the street, and I'll pick up this little spot here. Bit by bit, Rand did get the directions he wanted. At first they were vague, on the order of somewhere in that direction, and over that way. The nearer they came, though, the clearer the instructions, until at last they stood before a broad stone building with a sign over the door creaking in the wind. A man kneeling before a woman with red-gold hair and a crown. 
one of her hands resting on his bowed head. The queen's blessing. Are you sure about this? Matt asked. Of course, Rand said. He took a deep breath and pushed open the door. The common room was large and paneled with dark wood, and fires on two hearths warmed it. A serving maid was sweeping the floor, though it was clean, and another was polishing candlesticks in the corner. Each smiled at the two newcomers before going back to her work. Only a few tables had people at them, but a dozen men was a crowd for so early in the day, and if none looked exactly happy to see him and Matt, at least they looked clean and sober. The smells of roasting beef and baking bread drifted from the kitchen, making Rand's mouth water. The innkeeper was fat, he was pleased to see. A pink man, a pink-faced man in a starched white apron with graying hair combed back over a bald spot that it did not quite cover. His sharp eye took them in from head to toe, dusty clothes and bundles and worn boots, but he had a ready, pleasant smile, too. Basil Gill was his name. Master Gill, Rand said. A friend of ours told us to come here. Tom Marilyn. He... The innkeeper's smile slipped. <laughs> Sorry. I thought it was it's so funny every time I read it. Rand looked at Matt, but he was too busy sniffing the aromas coming from the kitchen that I was anything else. Is something wrong? You do know him. I know him, Gill said curtly. He seemed more interested in the flute case at Rand's side now than in anything else. Come with me. He jerked his head toward the back. Rand gave Matt a jerk to get him started, then followed, wondering where he was going. <laughs> Pause before we continue on, but <laughs> his smile slipping is just great. He's got a pleasant yeah. smile, and I know Tom Marilyn. <laughs> like, oh, and then I, I want to I like rewind back up where it's like, "Are you sure about this?" Matt asked. <laughs> of course, Rand said. <laughs> of course, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Just imagine they've all of a sudden getting beat up and basically beaten to the last inch of their life, thrown out the alleyway or something. Uh, it's just so funny. Um, uh, what could possibly happen, huh? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> He's like, yeah, go to the Queen's Blessing, he said. It'll be fun, he said. Shut up, Matt. <laughs> but um, it's, it's kind of cool that we, like, Robert Jordan has this really cool thing for naming uh, taverns and inns and stuff, but he also has like a really cool way of like describing the inn sign. So in this case, it's a man kneeling before a woman with red gold hair and a crown, one of her hands resting on his bowed head. It's just like the queen's blessing. It makes sense, right? So if you're walking somewhere from far off and you saw it, you'd be like, oh, that looks like a queen's giving a blessing to somebody. So, oh, that's probably the queen's blessing. <laughs> a lot of places just have, you know, a sign or something that just either is just the image or just the name of the inn. It's not typically an image that is correlating with it. It's just kind of like saying, hey, this is an inn with like a, a mug or something. So um, it's interesting that, you know, a couple people are still there and whatnot. And they're not really, really busy, but the innkeeper is just. You know, this happy, short guy. <laughs> Just like, hey. <laughs> um, Master Gill's a cool dude. So, they head to the kitchen. He pauses, Master Gill pauses to speak to the cook. And um, she's a round woman with her hair in a bun. 
and basically she basically is a pound for pound spitting image of weight of master gills they're they're pretty similar in heftiness um she's stirring her pots master gills talking smells are good but two days of hunger is you know anything smells good at this point but in Rand's mind, this smells almost as good as Mr. Salvier's kitchen, which we all know Mr. Salvier is an amazing cook. Um, I really want some honey cakes now. <laughs> but um, Rand's stomach is growling, and Matt's leaning towards the pot, snows first, and Rand's nudging him. is like, eh, 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 I'm drooling. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> and then we'll pick up from here. Then the innkeeper was hurrying them out the back door. In the stable yard, he looked around to make sure no one was close, then rounded on them. On Rand. What's in this case, lad? Tom's flute, Rand said slowly. He opened the case as if showing the gold and silver chased flute help. Matt's hand crept under his coat. Master Gill did not take his eyes off Rand. Aye, I recognize it. I saw him play it often enough, and there's not likely to like that outside of royal court. Pleasant smiles were gone, and his sharp eyes were suddenly as sharp as a knife. How did you come by it? Tom would part with his arm as soon as that flute. He gave it to me. Rand took Tom's bundled cloak from his back and set it on the ground, unfolding enough to show the colored patches as well as the end of a harp case. Tom's dead, Master Gill. If he was your friend, I'm sorry. He was mine, too. Dead, you say? How? Uh... A man tried to kill us. Tom pushed this at me and told us to run. The patches fluttered in the wind like butterflies. Rand's throat caught. He folded the cloak carefully back up again. We'd have been killed if it hadn't been for him. We were on our way to, to Camelon together. He told us to come here to your inn. I'll believe he's dead, the innkeeper said slowly, when I see his corpse. He nudged the bundled cloak with his toe and cleared his throat roughly. Nay, nay, I believe you saw whatever it is what you saw, or you say you saw. I just don't believe he's dead. He's a harder man to kill than you might believe, his old Tom Marilyn. Rand put a hand on Matt's shoulder. It's all right, Matt. He's a friend. Master Gill glanced at Matt and sighed. I suppose I am at that. Matt straightened up slowly, folding his arms over his chest. He was still watching the innkeeper warily, though, and a muscle in his cheek twitched. Coming to Camelin, you say? The innkeeper shook his head. This is the last place on earth I'd expect Tom to come, excepting maybe it was Tarvalin. He waited for a stableman to pass, leading a horse, and even then he lowered his voice. You trouble with the Aes Sedai, I take it? Yes, Matt grumbled at the same time Rand said, What makes you think that? <laughs> Master Gill chuckled dryly. I know the man, that's what. He'd jump into that kind of trouble, especially to help a couple of lads about the age of you. The reminiscence in his eyes flickered out, and he stood up straight with a chary look. Now, uh, I'm not making any accusations, mind, but, uh... I take it neither of you can, uh, what I'm getting at is, uh, 
What exactly is the nature of your trouble with Tarvalan? If you don't mind my asking. <laughs> oh, oh, I love Master Gil. Uh, you're kind of slipping into like a uh, Alec Guinness at some have some points during that, but whatever. What? Uh, Alec Guinness, uh, the guy who originally played Obi Wan Kenobi in uh, Episode Four. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't even popping in my voice. I'm I'm just uh, kind of replaying. Oh, Luke. Yeah. I was uh, trying to use the more nasally voice that. Um, um, <laughs> Michael, yeah, I, Michael I Kramer uses in the the, the audiobooks because that's that's how I hear him in my head because Michael yeah. Kramer is an amazing uh, narrator. I can't I can't I can't do nasally voices, so don't expect me to carry that on. You have to do it exactly like me. Get it over it. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm, not <laughs> I'm not getting paid enough for this. Neither am I, but here we are. I know. Um, <laughs> If you would like to send money to our Patreon, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's funny because, you know, he's acting nonchalant with a couple of country bumpkins, you know, wandering around or whatever. And then he takes them outside and kind of just like completely changes demeanor on them. It's just like, hey, what's in the case? <laughs> Want to buy a toothbrush? Um <laughs> <laughs> it's they're like trying to explain things to him because they're like, well, he's supposed to be a friend of Tom's, so makes sense to be honest with them. But obviously, they're not gonna be like, yeah, Mergeral's after us. <laughs> um, obviously, Master Gill is like, yeah, I don't believe he's dead, and I won't believe it probably even if I see the corpse technically. But he's a hard guy to kill, and. I, if I was random mad, I'd be like looking at each other like, how many people have tried to kill Tom? <laughs> this is Gleeman. What what, why would you want to kill a Gleeman? Um, but then he says something curious about like, this is the last place I'd expect Tom to come, excepting it was Tarvalin. And he's like, I'm assuming you have trouble with Aes Sedai, because that's probably why Tom would help you, because Master Gil knows him. Now, this last part, he's like, I'm not making accusations, but I take it either of you can, uh, you know, what I'm getting is uh, the nature of your trouble with Tarvalin. And uh, <laughs> Rand's, like, finally realizing, like, oh, the one power. No, 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 nothing like that. Nothing like that. There's an I said I actually helping us, but, uh, yeah. But the innkeeper doesn't change his expression in the slightest have you go ahead and uh, pick up this next uh, one. I'm struggling to think of an accent to use. I mean, it's, it's half I a pitched in nasally, <laughs> like this. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't keep that up. <laughs> it's uh, really easy, actually. If you are a real uh, voice actor, you'd be able to do it. <laughs> I'm not, so... <laughs> You're not supposed to say that uh, so uh, loud. That's... The voice actors might not recruit you now. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of the impasse I'm wearing at the moment, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, glad to hear it. Not that I have all that much love for Aes Sedai, but better them than the other one thing. He shook his head slowly. Too much talk about that kind of thing, with Loghain being brought here. No offense meant you understand, but, well, I had to know it, didn't I? No offense, Rand said. 
Matt's murmur could he have been anything, but the innkeeper appeared here to take it for the same as Rand had said. You two look at you look the right sort. I do believe you are are friends of Tom. But it's hard to hear times in stony days. I don't suppose you can pay. No, I don't think so. There is no enough fee for anything. Only what there is costs the earth. So I'll give you beds. Not the best, but warm and dry. And something to eat. And I can't hear you promise more, however much I'd like. Thank you. Rand said with a quizzical glance at Matt. It's more than I expected. What was he the right sort, and why should he promise more? Well, Tom's a good friend. An old friend. Hot-headed and liable to say the worst possible thing to the one person he shouldn't. But a good friend all the same. If he doesn't show up, well, we'll figure something out then. Best you don't hear talk anymore about the eyes that I helping you. I'm a good Queen's man, but there are too many Camelin right now. Who do you take wrong? I don't mean just the White Cloaks. Matt snorted. For all I care, the Ravens can't you take every eyes to die straight to shale ghoul. Watch your tongue! Master Ghoul snapped. Master Gill snapped. <sighs> His Gill snapped? What? <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, that's a new trick. I said I didn't love them. I didn't say I'm a fool and you think he thinks either you're behind everything that's wrong. It's Alida, right? Alida. Alida. The Queen supports Alida, and the guards that you stand for the Queen. The lights send you things that you don't hear you go so bad that changes. Anyway, lately some guards have you taken the some guards have you forgotten themselves enough for you to be a little rough with folk here that you over here speak against Aes Sedai. Not on duty, thanks for the light. What's happening? Just the same. I don't need off-duty guards breaking up in my common room here to teach you a lesson. I don't need to hear white cloaks taking something you boy on to you to paint the dragon sea fang on my door. So if you want any help out of me, just so you keep your thoughts about Aes Sedai to yourself. Good or bad. He paused thoughtfully, then added, Maybe it's best you don't mention Tom's name, name either. Where anyone here but hear, me can hear. Some of the guards have long memories, and so does the Queen. No need to take a chances. Tom had trouble with the Queen? Rand said incredulously. And do you think he laughed? So he didn't tell you everything. Don't know why he should. On the other hand, I don't know why he shouldn't know either. Not like it's a secret, exactly. Do you think every Gleeman here thinks as much of himself as Tom does? Well, come to think of it, I guess I do. But it's always easy to me that Tom had an extra helping me thinking a lot of himself. It wasn't always a Gleeman, you know. Wandering from village to village, and sleeping on a hedge as often as as not. There was a time in Tom Maryland, it was a court bard here, right here in Camelin. And none in every royal court here for me adhered to a Tom? Matt said. Rand nodded slowly. He could picture Tom at a queen's court, as he is daily manner and grand gestures. There he was, Master Gill said. It was not long after he hit. Tarangale. Tarangale. Damodred. It's Damodred that always throws me. <laughs> not Sound it out. Sound it out. Damodred. 
Tarangale is the hard one to remember. Because some people like Tarangale, so it's Tarangale. Long after Tarangale at Namadred, he died, he that. The trouble about his nephew cropped up. There were some he said he Tom was, shall we say, closer to the queen than he than was proper. But more case, he was a young widow, and Tommy was in his prime then. And the queen can do as he she wishes if she is see the way I look at it. Only she's always had a temper, has army in more case. And he took off it without a word when he learned what kind of trouble his nephew was in. Queen didn't think much like that. And like him meddling in Aes Sedai matters either. Can't say he, I think it was right either, nephew or no. Anyway, when he came back, he said he had some words alright. Words you don't say to a queen. Words you don't need to say to any woman, he would be in more case of spirit. It's a lie, Dev, right? Yes. <laughs> See, just have to kind of repeat it and constantly. But... Just imagine the A in the middle is not there. Elida. Okay. Elida was he said against to me because of his trying to mix in the, the business with his nephew. Between the Queen's he temper and Elida's animosity. Elida. Tom left. <laughs> so. <laughs> Elida. <laughs> going to way too late doing this. Okay. Alida's animosity. Alida's animosity. Alida's animosity. Tom left Campbell in a half a step ahead of a trip to prison. If not, the headman's axe. As far as I know, the right still stands. Writ. Writ. Yeah. Yeah, writ. It's it's law, basically. It's like this person is. Yeah, like warrants. And yeah, it's stuff. like a warrant, basically. If it was a long time ago. Rand said. Maybe nobody remembers. Master Gill shook his head. Gareth Bryn. Is it Gareth Bryn or Bryn? Gareth Bryn. Gareth Bryn is a Captain General of the Queen's Guards. He partially commanded the Guardsmen in more case sent he to bring Tommy back in chains. And I miss any doubt he'll ever forget he returning empty-handed to find Tom had already been, had been back into the palace and left again. The Queen never forgets anything. You ever you know a woman who did? My Morgesia was in a taking. I swear the whole city walked to you soft and he whispered here for a month. Plenty of other guards ain't even old enough to remember too. No. Best you keep Hitami close close a secret as you keep that ice to die of yours. Come, I'll get you something to eat. You look as if your three bellies are ignoring at your backbones. <laughs> That's saying a lot yeah. coming from the guy who's really big. <laughs> um, and so ends uh, chapter thirty-five. I do think that there's a lot of words of wisdom coming from Master Gill. Um, yeah. Specifically, like, yeah, I'm glad to hear it's not any of that uh, one power nonsense. And I'm, yeah. uh, you know, you guys look seems like, like you are friends he... of Tom. <laughs> Yeah, he seems to be like a really nice guy that they can actually genuinely trust. I look forward to the the time of way he betrays them or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you're a friend? That's what dark friends do. <laughs> oh, you're helping me. Mm, that's very suspicious. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really funny. Um, 
but he's just like you know ran into matter like what what else should he be promising more and the only thing i think of is you know help in avoiding Aes Sedai or you know getting them from point a to point b or something like some sort of help that i guess tom might have had pre-arranged to master kill um I really should start saying Basil Gill, just so people remember his name's Basil Gill. Um, but, you know, there's the Aes Sedai part. It's like, let's not talk about the Aes Sedai due to the fact that, you know, not everybody's a fond of them. They're going to cause riots, and then guards will rough you up if you speak out against them. But if you <coughs> speak in favor of them, then you get the white cloaks, and then it's just like, ah, too much. Um, and even when Matt speaks up and he's Basil Gill's like, you know, I didn't, I said, I didn't like him, but I'm not a fool either. That thinks that everything that happens that's wrong in this world is their fault. Um, the queen supports Elida and the guards stand for the queen and I'm a good Queens man. So take that as you will. Um, but he basically doesn't want people breaking up, things in the common room to teach him a lesson and he doesn't want white cloaks getting somebody to paint the dragon's fang on their door and you know if you want you want help from me and like i'm gonna give you a bed and meals but if you want that from me you're gonna work with me on this and uh by the way don't mention tom's name <laughs> and they're like what tom had a problem with the queen and he's like ah so he didn't say everything did he <laughs> can you imagine that like the merge dolls walking across the courtyard Tom swivels over to them. By the way, guys, I happen to get in a little bit of trouble when Caitlin with the Queen. Just as he charges, he just says, run, you fools, and remember, buy my biography! Dabs the Nerdrol. Attempts to stab the Nerdrol, I think is the real question. Then explodes. Suddenly, pineapples. Boom! Blue lightning. Or fireworks, or whatever it was. I can't remember. I think it was here just here, blue sparks. But yeah, blue, blue sparks. Well, that could be lightning or it could be fireworks. You never know. Um, his mustache exploded. So then we get a little bit of a backstory of Tom and his obvious, not always a gleam in wandering around. He was formerly a court bard of Queen Morgay's, the queen of Andor, light illuminator. Um, and... Most Gleeman, he's like, most Gleeman don't have that much. It's like, on second thought, they do have that much thought about themselves. <laughs> but but he's an extra step of thought above himself. But basically, when uh, Taron Gale Damadred died, basically, the queen was lonely. <laughs> and you had this court bard who was in his prime and everything. And, you know, the queen can do what she wants, right? Um, the irony of later on is even funnier. Um, but she has a temper, but the queen didn't like him leaving her and especially didn't like the fact that he was meddling in Aes Sedai affairs, probably because she got a lot of pressure from Aes Sedai already as it was and didn't need to make it any worse. Um, but he, you know, says some choice words when he comes back. And then he has to dip out. 
before anybody can get to him. Now, the part that I thought was ironic is Gareth Bryn, uh, being the Captain General of the Queen's Guards, he personally commanded the, the Guardsman Morgay sent to bring Tom back in chains. Um, he probably won't ever forget returning empty-handed to find Tom had already been back to the palace and left again. Um, and the Queen never forgets anything, but the irony, and tucked this away for later, is Gareth Bryn trying to capture Tom. The irony of this will eventually rear its ugly head. It's funny as all get out. Um, but <laughs> this, this this hilarious viewpoint again of the male versus the female viewpoints, um, where it's like the queen never forgets anything. You ever know a woman who did? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he's not wrong, <laughs> but um, it's one of those things where somebody might not take too kindly to that. But it's it's part of the charm of the series, just. You'll get you'll get used to it, um, but he kind of points out that obviously you know plenty of people will know about Tom, so just don't mention it. And then this last line: "You look as if your bellies are gnawing at your backbones." It's just like that's uh, quite the X-ray vision you got there, Basil Gill. Uh, that's funny. So uh, thoughts on the overall chapter? Uh, I really love the the um, the descriptions of uh, Camelin, and yeah, we very we well done. Yeah, we can't do it justice. You know, read it for yourself. I mean, we could. We just probably get the. Uh, no, down, no. But, yeah. No, my my brain is trying to jelly while we speak, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I um, mean, from what we speak, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, well, there we go. Just, <laughs> um, yeah, I I I kind of tell like this is probably uh, I don't know. Matt and the Mamrand have changed a bit since uh, Aralon, so you know the kind of hijinks that they will get up to, I imagine, will be less instigated by them and more they are the subject of it. As, uh, good theory. As things happen, uh, like, oh, and they're going to piss off the entire city of Camelin or something. <laughs> I don't know. They might do. <laughs> I wouldn't put past them. Uh, that'd be funny. It's just getting right, just right out of the city. Uh, I don't know if they'd make it out of the city alive if they did that. But now with the riots that have been going on. But uh, yeah. any, anything else that you like besides the descriptions and the character well if there's a just evolving, like the impl- so. i don't know just here like um seeing a bit more about uh uh tom and you know learning about his backstories that would be nice to like kind of hear it from him but you know he's supposedly dead um allegedly is the word supposedly allegedly quite possibly most Soon certainly, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I just lo- I love I love when somebody starts out with like supposedly, allegedly, possibly, more than likely, absolutely dead. <laughs> Slim chance, certainty of death, small chance of success. What are we waiting for? <laughs> uh, yeah, love Gimli. And also, just yeah, Gav nice to actually have uh, Matt Randy run across a person that they could possibly trust. 
Again, I'm waiting for the betrayal, but you know, not saying that's certain. The betrayal of the Queen's blessing. <laughs> the house itself turned on them and ate them alive. Just kidding. Um, well, yeah. you know, at least at least it would be unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the way you make it sound. That's going to be how it plays out exactly. Hey, I don't. I I never know what's going to happen next. So you know, I I expect nothing. And well, as they say, you don't know what you don't know. How's that for irony? But sure. <laughs> moving on. <with. laughs> um, anything else that the chapter pulls out? Uh, to you? No. I mean, it was pretty short, so it's not like it's. Yeah. Uh, no, those are pretty much my thoughts. Do you have anything to propose? I would like to propose that this is a really short chapter, and we managed to pull it out to an hour and forty-five minutes already. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I was not expecting this. Honestly, I was just like, we're going to have to fight to make it to an hour. Well, didn't have to worry about that. Um, if I swear I, if I swear I'll like We're not able to get to the... Uh, I'm, I'm not able to see the, the timing until I get pull it up later on, and it makes a lot of unnecessary noise to do so. I usually don't even notice it until later, so I probably would be better off if I did. I just needed another monitor. So, you were saying... <sighs> no, I was just a... Say, I, th I think the shortest episode that we've done it has like barely broken an hour. No, the shortest episode I believe is like fifty-four minutes. Fifty-four minutes, I think, is the minimum so far. Oh well, it might have been fifty-eight, um, fifty-eight to fifty-four, somewhere in that range. But I mean, we could always make up for it with a three-hour episode somewhere. <laughs> Actually, um, but yeah, uh, I think that will do us for this chapter since I think I covered everything on my end and um, hopefully our perceptions were well explained for you folks <laughs> to maybe get more out of this chapter than you probably read because you probably read this thing in probably like 10 minutes it doesn't take very long to yeah. read um, even for Mr. Slowpoke James here he still read it pretty fast um, so I, I, I doubt you'll have too much trouble, but you'll probably enjoy the descriptions a lot more than what we provided since we didn't really provide anything of Camelin yeah. and its wholeness and everything and the riots and all that stuff. Um, they weren't really that big of a deal pertaining to the story directly, other than maybe mentioning the riots and the grandness of the city and whatnot. If if people repeatedly saying greatest city in the world or the grandest city in the world didn't explain it enough to you, <laughs> but um. Yeah, um, glad you guys could hang out with us and you know listen to everything since we are basically commentators on, in my opinion, one of the best book series in the world in existence. <clears throat> um, but uh, we are definitely looking forward to next week. So, James, would you like to shill away? Okay, sure. Why not? Before uh, before I literally just crash my head against the train my desk. <laughs> so anyway, chilling. Not that tired yet. No. You, you, Give it another like, fifteen minutes, we'll be good to go. <laughs> so chilling. If you want to reach out to us on social media, you can find us at Tales of Red Arm at at Twitter, or find our page on Facebook, which is just simply Tales of Red Arm. Uh, post comments and uh, questions there. But if you wish to comment or you know fire complaints at us, and you continuously um more personally 
yeah. Yeah, if you wish to send us your personal attacks, uh, you can message us at dalesofroadarm at gmail.com. Uh, we will endeavor to talk here, talk to you and get back and uh, also possibly feature comments, questions and such in future episodes. As a, you know, as and a maybe, on, uh, maybe if we get enough people to listen and whatnot and maybe we pull like a Patreon or something off, we might have, you know, uh, some form of a questionnaire, sit in Q&A session of James and myself with how we either view it currently where we're at or what we think is going to happen in the future or, you know, whatever viewpoint happens. Um, unlike some other book series that probably are a bit more popular in terms of uh, their coverage amongst, you know, book groups and whatnot, like maybe like a Jane Austen group or something where mm. basically everybody knows the whole story. Um it's going to be a little bit more difficult, but we might be able to figure something out if people are interested in that kind of stuff um, where we're going to have just like a whole episode just dedicated specifically to answering questions if people are up for that. But we'll have to see how that goes. Um, we do ask, though, that if you're on Facebook or Twitter or something, you know, you're wanting to ask questions or talk about things that haven't been covered in the series yet, or at least through our uh, podcast as of the most current episode, um, we do ask that you either reach out to us privately or hold on to it until we get to that point. So other people who are new to the series can enjoy the series without having to worry about um, the, the book basically being spoiled for them because nobody wants to do that. Nobody would enjoy that finding out something that's extremely important and whatnot. And there is a lot of stuff. So even if somebody like slipped up or something, they might not be a big deal to some people, but to other people, it would be a big deal. So we just ask that everybody keep that in mind. But if there's uh, a large group of people who want to uh, be able to talk about spoilers and whatnot, and just talk about it in general, um, then we can look into opening like two separate, like, subgroups of the Facebook page or something to where, you know, people who want spoiler free stuff can go to this spot. And then people who wanted to do spoilers, go to this spot. Um, and that way you don't have to worry about misunderstanding anything or ruining your experience. So we do ask that you want to finish up James or are you done? <laughs> well, that's pretty much all the chilling. Uh, so, yeah, but yeah, well, you know, he, Oh, you know, you know how to reach us. Uh, you know, comment, yeah, comment, comment, post it, you post your questions, give us feedback, and uh, you know what you, you would do you think we need to improve on? You know what's kind of missing. Oh, you know, of things soul, you, that's okay. what's missing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we both want everybody to enjoy themselves as much as possible. So hopefully, you guys enjoy our humor. Hopefully you enjoy our viewpoints and whatnot, but um, we, we definitely appreciate you guys and we hope you guys will join us next week for chapter 36 and maybe get to uh, meet a unique character, which it's not a very long chapter, but it is uh, definitely an interesting thing and hopefully I've piqued your interest. <laughs> so hopefully you guys will join us for the next episode and I guess we'll see you guys then. Until then.
We drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls we'll spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll await to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and some of the girls be they short or tall. And follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and some of the girls be they short or tall. Then follow Lord Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse and hug the maids, it could be worse. Let's ride away with the dark woods first to dance with Jack of the Shadows. Yeah! Yeah!